This morning we continue our series through the book of Hebrews, through Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Author of Hebrews writes, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, Will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all? And every priest stands daily at his service to offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected all for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declared the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I'm holding in my hand a modern copy of a primitive artifact from sub-Saharan Africa. This is used to make a blood pact. What would happen is two chiefs from two different tribes would come together They would slice open their hands and squeeze out their blood, and you might not be able to see this from the very back, but this is a cup. And they would put the blood from both of their hands into the cup, and they would take this long stick that's fixed to the end of the cup, and they would put it right here just like this, and they would let the mingled blood flow down, and they would drink it as a sign of their solidarity. And their promise to one another. For many people outside of Christianity, this is how they feel about the idea of Christ's blood. It's primitive. It's barbaric. It's gruesome. It's vulgar. For many outside of Christianity, it even seems offensive. This morning, we've already sung these words. His blood can make the foulest clean. 
His blood availed for me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Slain for us, the water flowed, mingled from your side with blood. What does Christianity have to do with blood? Have you ever wondered? Why is everything that we sing and say and believe and hold dear as Christians, why are we so fixated about blood? You see, for those who've grown up on the inside of the church, it's possible in the same way that words are repeated or a phrase over and over and over again, it's possible that the phrase, the idea, the blood of Jesus becomes commonplace. It's possible for us as we sing songs like this, for us to take the blood of Christ for granted. And throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, over and over and over again, we see the power of the blood of Jesus as something we should never take for granted. The author of Hebrews put it this way. Whether you've grown up in church, whether you find yourself this morning maybe visiting a church for the first time in a long time, wondering what on earth is the blood of Jesus all about, this is what the author of Hebrews has to say. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This morning, we continue our series through the book of Hebrews, asking the question, why all the blood? What does Christianity have to do with blood? And what we will see is that Christ's blood shed for us makes him a better savior. The first way I want us to look at this, I want you to look at Hebrews 10, verse 1. I want you to see that Christ's blood is a better substitute. This is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. If you were with us last week, we saw how the tabernacle was set up with all of its furniture and ritual We saw how the the worship of the Old Testament people of God was centered on the sacrificial system. It was centered on blood sacrifices. Now, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to Hebrews 9. It's the chapter right before this one. If you don't have a Bible, I want you to take the blue pew Bible in front of you, and it's our gift to you. You can take it home with you. I want you to turn to Hebrews 9, verse 19. This is how the author of Hebrews describes the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Hebrews 9, 19. He says, For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. 
saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, there's a couple things I want you to notice here in chapter 9. It helps us understand chapter 10. Both can be found in verse 22. The first is this. He says, under the law, almost everything was purified with blood. And this is what I think our modern minds have a hard time understanding. Do you see it there in your Bibles? Everything was sprinkled with blood. The worship that occurred in the Old Testament was incredibly bloody. Blood was sprinkled on everything, even the people. Can you imagine that? Blood sprinkled on the tabernacle, all the things used for worship inside the tabernacle. Why? The book of Leviticus gives us a clue. Leviticus 17, 11, you don't have to turn there, just listen. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Book of Leviticus tells us that blood represents life. It represents the life that we hold so dear and precious. It's why most of us, many of us in this room, we get squeamish when we see blood because it's not supposed to be outside of us. It's why a child, when they get just the smallest of scratches, even if it doesn't hurt, once they look down and see that they're bleeding, the tears just start flowing because we know that there's something precious about blood. Blood represents life. It represents that thing that gives us life. And so by shedding blood, it was a picture of the pouring out of life. Life given for a promise. That brings to the second thing I want you to see in Hebrews 9 verse 22. The author says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What we have to understand is that there must be justice for sin. Sin is disobeying God. And what we all have to recognize this morning is that is more than just mere immorality. That is more than just disobedience in the way that we might disobey an earthly authority. To sin is to go against the commands of God himself. To sin is to commit high treason against the king. To sin is to crown yourself and to tell the God of the universe, no thanks, I'll do it my own way. There must be justice for sin. We must recognize that sin is costly. And so forgiveness of sin, the author of Hebrews is saying, forgiveness can't just be, well, let's just forget about it. Oh, don't worry about it. Let's just pretend that it never happened. 
No, true forgiveness, there must be payment. If sin is costly, there must be payment. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, the payment for sin is death. So the only thing then that can pay for sin is death. Not only does the shedding of blood represent life being poured out, but it represents sacrifice, a life being given up. It represents death. A life must be given for a life. Blood must be shed so our blood as sinners is not shed. That is known as substitutionary atonement. The word atonement comes from Leviticus 17.11, the very verse that I read to you. It means simply that we are covered, that we are covered, that the, the The wrath, the justice of God is satisfied because something has been paid in our place. That's the substitute part. And what the author of Hebrews is now trying to tell us in chapter 10 is all of this that was set up in the Old Testament, the idea that God by his grace might give the blood of a goat or a calf, all of this as a picture that blood must be shed to pay for sin. All of this is just a shadow of something greater to come. I want you to look again. In your Bible, there in your bulletin, Hebrews 10, verse 1. He's saying these things are a shadow of good things to come. In other words, left to themselves, they're, they're powerless. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats are not a good substitute for human beings. I want to say that again, and I want you to hear this without trying to be overly theological. This is really practical. The blood of bulls and goats is not a good substitute for human beings. Why? Because we are not bulls and goats. These sacrifices could never accomplish real substitution. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. They're inadequate substitutes. They can never fully atone for our sin because they are just passive, dumb animals. Some other substitute must be made. This is what he is saying in verse 4. Look with me, he says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The words he uses there to take away is used in only one other place in the New Testament in Romans 11. It's when the apostle Paul quotes Isaiah and he says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. In other words, the author of Hebrews is connecting these biblical dots, and what he is saying is the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. Only the deliverer can do that, and his name is Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, friends, this is why the incarnation matters, that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. He must be fully God 
to conquer our sin, but he must be fully man in order to be a substitute for our sin. Because if the blood of bulls and goats can never be our substitute, then it took Jesus Christ in the fullness of his humanity to do what blood of bulls and goats could never do. Jesus Christ poured out his own human blood as your substitute. He died in your place. He bore the punishment of sin that was due to you and to me so that the justice of God would be satisfied and that we, by the blood of Jesus, might have life. Now, you and I, the 21st century, we are not tempted to sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats. If anything, that concept is just so foreign to us. But the truth is, you and I try to hide behind lesser substitutes every single day. We hide behind the substitute of freedom and autonomy. When deep down we are enslaved to sin and only Christ can set us free. We hide behind the substitute of family and we elevate marriage and put it on a pedestal. But only the blood of Jesus Christ draws us into the family of God. We hide behind positions of power, but Christ poured out his blood as a servant. And he's called us to the service of God. We hide behind our rugged sense of individualism as Americans, as Texans. But individualism, individualism leads to isolation and loneliness. And the blood of Jesus draws us into community. We hide behind our own righteousness. And yet if we're honest for just a few moments, we recognize none of us are righteous, no, not one. Only the blood of Jesus can make us right with God. And yes, we hide behind man-made religion. We hide behind cultural Christianity and the instruction of pastors and celebrity thought leaders when only the blood of Jesus has the power to save. Jesus shed his blood as our substitute. Not only that, but Christ's blood is a better sacrifice. That's the second thing I want you to see. We'll move this one much more quickly. Hebrews 10 verse 5, author of Hebrews tells us, consequently when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Now there were five different types of sacrifices in the Old Testament, and here he's referencing two of them by quoting from Psalm 40. The two that he's referencing are burnt offerings and sin offerings. Both involved blood. The burnt offering was to make atonement for sin. The worshiper, the one offering the sacrifice, would come to the tabernacle and would bring a bull or a goat or a turtle dove depending on their means, on their wealth. 
And as they brought this sacrifice to the altar, they would place their head on the animal like this, symbolizing their solidarity, that this animal is standing in their place as their substitute, that this animal is dying for them. And then they would kill the animal. The priest would take the blood of the animal and sprinkle it around the altar. And then they would light the animal on fire, completely consuming it. The sin offering was the sprinkling of blood on all of the different instruments and furniture used in worship. It recognized that though the burnt offering paid for the penalty of sin, sin still makes people unclean, unholy. People need to be purified. And so the sin offering cleansed the people of God as they came to worship. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that God no longer has a stomach for these kinds of sacrifices. He doesn't take pleasure in them anymore. Why? Well, not just because the substitutes are poor substitutes for human beings, but because the people offering the sacrifices have poor attitudes. You see, people were just going through the motions of ritual, thinking that if they just came and went through the motions of the sacrificial system, then then God would be pleased with them. They were going through the rituals of man-made religion without giving God their heart. Brothers and sisters, how often do we do that? Even on a morning like this. How often do we just go through the motions of Christianity with giving little thought to the words that we're saying, the songs that we're singing, the sins that we're confessing, or the gospel that we proclaim? And so God, through the prophet of Amos, said this, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, God says, take away the noise of your songs. If you do not mean what you say, let justice flow down. Let justice flow down and let righteousness be lived. May we be the people of God who mean what we profess. May we not go through the half-hearted motions of man-made ritualistic religion, but may we offer God our full hearts. And so what must be done? How do we do that? Author of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 10 verse 8. He's talking of Jesus here. He says that Jesus is the one who said in the psalm, you've never desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. In verse 9, then he said, Jesus is the one who said, behold, I've come to do your will. Jesus did what we can never do and what no priest has ever done. The priest became the sacrifice. 
it was not half-hearted. It was the fullest sense of heart that you could possibly offer the Lord. Jesus did not sacrifice a bull or a goat. Jesus sacrificed himself for you and for me. In verse 10, we are told that by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. That phrase, once for all, is used only in the book of Hebrews. It's used four times. Once for all. What the author of Hebrews wants us to understand is that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient. It happened one time for all time. It was sufficient to save every single sin that you have, you are, and will ever commit in one act of giving himself up on the cross for you and me. And so the last thing I want us to see, the blood of Christ offers a better forgiveness. I want you to look at verse 11. Author of Hebrews tells us that every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And so the picture I want you to imagine this morning is that of a priest standing up. His work is never finished. He is constantly offering sacrifice after sacrifice after a sacrifice. There is a long line of sinners at the doorway to the tabernacle waiting to offer their bull or goat or turtle dove. And there the priests labor day after day after day. Why? Because these sacrifices can never take away sins fully. It was always there. They would sin and a sacrifice would be made. And as they were leaving the tabernacle, what do you think they did? The same thing you and I do every single Sunday when we leave this place. We go on sinning. And so sacrifice is being made as these priests are standing, their work never finished. Their sacrifices could never pay because forgiveness is costly. It costs something to forgive. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, put it this way. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. We don't think forgiveness costs very much when we want to be forgiven. We think it should be pretty cheap. Shouldn't you just forgive me? But when we have to forgive somebody else, it's only then that we realize how much forgiveness really costs. How much it costs the one who's doing the forgiving. Forgiveness costs something. And these sacrifices could never pay. No amount of sacrifices could ever pay. The author of Hebrews tells us, verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. These priests are offering countless sacrifices. Jesus offered one, one sacrifice, 
one sacrifice that paid it all, that paid every debt for every sin that you and I have ever committed. How could his blood do that? Why was it so much better? Did you see it? The priests never sat down. Their work was never finished. They were always standing. But after Jesus gave up himself on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. His work was finished. There was no more work to be done. And so like a warrior who sits down in victory after a battle that's been fought and won, Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of God. And the author of Hebrews tells us that he will come again to make every enemy a footstool under his feet. What makes the blood of Christ so powerful is it's not the end of the story. Jesus poured out his blood for you and me. And then on the third day, he rose again in victory. And one day he will come again to make all things new, to restore us and to reconcile us to himself. Brothers and sisters, friends, as we end, what I want you to understand this morning is our understanding of forgiveness is so small. And so often we think that must be the kind of forgiveness that God offers us. But God is offering to you and to me a forgiveness unlike any other. A forgiveness that not only pays for your sin in the past, your sin in the present, and your sin in the future, but the kind of forgiveness that now draws you to himself and says, now you are my son and you are my daughter, and I am restoring you to become princes and princesses in my kingdom. It's the kind of forgiveness that makes us new. The blood of Christ makes him a better savior because it makes him a better substitute, it makes him a better sacrifice, and it makes him a better kind of forgiveness that changes us from the inside out. Not because of our own sacrifices, not because of the substitutes that we hide behind, but only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, it's only by the blood of your son Jesus that we are saved. And so we pray this morning, if anyone here this morning does not know your son Jesus as their salvation, I pray that you would reveal by the power of your spirit the power of your blood. That you, Jesus, poured out your blood on the cross for our salvation. That you died in our place as our substitute so that we might now be called sons and daughters of God. If any of us do not believe that this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, move in power. Give them the eyes of faith. Help them to now pray to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. For those of us who have heard about your blood for years, sung about your blood, even professed your blood, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help this 
shedding of blood not to become commonplace to us. But every time we sing of it, every time we think of it, every time we speak of it, would you well in our hearts, stir in us new affections for you and Holy Spirit, give us a sense of awe and worship that you sacrificed your son Jesus for our salvation so that we might be yours. Be with us now as we sing and as we leave this place that we might be covered in the blood of the Son. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.